0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Good to be with you today. I want to thank Lisa Buck for making my job both easier, because I don't have to stray from the Psalms today, and incredibly harder, so thank you. Ben came up to me during communion and said, don't you ever schedule Lisa Buck on a day I'm preaching. And Barbara McGinn at communion just said three words. You following that? But thank you Lisa because I do get to stay in the Psalms this morning and continue our new sermon series so I am glad for that and obviously was very grateful for your words. As we all are. And I did want to remind you all that we've got uh, Psalms bookmarkers here up on the communion tables and around the rooms. So if you want to take a look at the list of Psalms that we've compiled that kind of cohere to this sermon series, I'd love for you to take those home and dive into those throughout this summer as we preach the Psalms together. Uh, But there are a lot of exciting things happening around here, Uh, the new building being one, of course, but uh, even more exciting than a new building, of course, is new people. And I wanted to just draw attention to a few of them. The Henrys are here this morning, a brand new family that just placed membership. So it's Dennis and Angela and Caleb and Damon, and we are very excited that, yes, please welcome them. So, so excited to have you guys here. So, thank you for throwing your lot in with us. And uh, also, we have a brand new summer intern as well, Alexis Hickson, that I'm sure many of you know or recognize her name because her parents have been some of our missionaries in Rwanda at our site there. And she is here this morning as well, and she's beginning uh, work for us this summer in communications and children's and worship and youth. She'll be all across the board, so we're excited. Welcome, Alexis, this morning as well. But we're in Psalm 19 this morning, so if you'll open your Bibles or look on the screen, I'm going to read our text as we begin. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there's great reward, but who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, you are our Lord, our rock and and our redeemer God you are our instructor and you are our creator and Lord we praise you as all of that and more this morning and God we ask for your redemption to be made evident in our lives we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear and God I ask you for the gift of preaching this morning ask for the gift of illumination that we would hear your word truly and your word would save us. We trust in that word Jesus Christ and it's in his name we pray. Amen. A year ago today, Laura and I were living our best lives. And what I mean by that is a year ago today we were in Italy. I know, you can groan, you can groan, but we we saved up for about six years to really try and and make this trip happen, and it it did. It was a fantastic trip, trip of a lifetime, and so we've been lamenting and yet reminiscing the fact that we're not in Italy this morning, uh, but we are happy to be here with you regardless. (laughs) But if we ever open a Springs Vernazza campus, (laughs) I'm probably out, so... But we, uh, we have been reminiscing and I've been looking at our travel journals that we each kept on the trip and as I read through them I'm struck by how different our entries are for a number of reasons but particularly the fact that we were looking at the same things and experiencing the same things and meeting the same people and yet What I report and the way I do it is is different from the way Lara reports it, and especially the details that she notices. I I was so intrigued to find the way that she saw the world different from me. And I think that's because there's a difference between looking and seeing. There's a difference between looking, the, the visual act of perception. And seeing, which is an act of interpretation. Looking is that capacity for sight, but seeing is what we bring ourselves to. In seeing, we bring our location and our personality and our desires and our fears. And so two people can look at the same event, the same sporting event, the same piece of artwork, the same politician, and they can both look at the same thing, person, place, but see very different things. And I want to keep that difference in mind this morning. I want to keep that in mind because I believe our psalmist in Psalm 19 is calling us not just to look at the world, but to see the world in a very specific way. That our psalmist is calling us today to not just look at the world and at the law and at the Lord, but to see the world, the law, and the Lord in a very specific way. Way. And so I want to look and see with you this morning in Psalm 19. Let's begin with the world in just the first few verses again. He says, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. In a time and a place where the world is often viewed just as nature, as the natural, these words strike us in a fresh and surprising way. In a time and place where it's sometimes assumed that science, which beautifully and wonderfully examines the physical, has disproven God, the metaphysical, the beyond physical, in that time and place, these words are a breath of fresh air. Because the psalmist isn't trying to kind of philosophically reason our way to God or lay out some kind of rational proofs. He's simply singing the world as he sees it. He's singing the world, and he's using poetic language and almost kind of paradoxical language. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words, which he just said there are none, to the end of the world. And I think what the psalmist is trying to poetically describe is that if if you are looking at creation, if you are looking at the heavens, and yet you're not hearing what they're declaring, you need to open up your ears. The psalmist who, who is saying, yeah, there's not a literal mouth speaking human words in the sky, But he's saying if you can look at the sunset, if you can stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon, if you can hear Niagara and not hear the declaration, then you need to get your ears checked. Because he says they're proclaiming that God has created us. They're saying, look at me, I'm the handiwork, I'm the masterwork of God. They're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so our psalmist this morning is calling us, inviting us to see the world as creation. He's inviting us to see the world as creation. And not just the fact that God is at the origin, the foundation, the very being itself, but the fact that God is still creating, sustaining, nurturing, redeeming, liberating. The psalmist calls us to see God's world as creation. The 17th century Writer Joseph Addison wrote a hymn based on Psalm 19, and I love one of the stanzas, he says, "...the unwearied Son from day to day does His Creator's power display, and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand, the world as creation." And this leads us to our second movement in Psalm 19. In in verses, look at this transition between verses 6 and 7, and then all the way through 10. He says, he's talking about the sun rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. If you're like me and you lean a little more savory than sweet, we could say more delicious than chips and queso. The the, the law of the Lord more desirable than Tucker's onion burger and fries. And I'm gonna stop talking about food now. But what C.S. Lewis loves about Psalm 19, and he actually called this the greatest psalm in the Psalter, um, and maybe one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Uh, But what he actually loves is this abrupt transition between creation and law. It kinda strikes us oddly, Right? We're talking about the sun and the creation and da-da-da and the law of the Lord. And it's very quick. But what he loves about that is that these two ideas, while they might not seem married in our minds, are so enmeshed together in the writer's mind that he can't talk about creation and God's glory for very long without very easily transitioning into talk about God's laws, ordinances, and decrees. And so I, I think the psalmist actually gets it right here, because creation reminds us that we're in a world not of our own making. Creation reminds us that God has made the world, and there are certain grooves to the world. There is a grain to the universe, and there is a way of being and living in the world that promotes human flourishing and the flourishing of creation, and there are ways that do not promote that flourishing. And so, what as James K. Smith says, all of creation flourishes best when our communities and relationships run with the grain of those grooves. And so, we find that Psalm 19 not only calls us to see the world as creation, but it calls us to see law as blessing. It calls us to see the grain and the grooves of the universe. But that's not how we always see law, right? Most of us, or many of us, often view law not as blessing, but as burden. I've riffed on this from the pulpit before. I'm going to riff on it in the future. But laws we typically view, at least subconsciously, kind of as these stodgy, arbitrary rules meant to weigh us down and suck all the fun out of life, uh, given to us by some fuddy duddy God who just doesn't want us to have joy. I'm being extreme. I'm, I'm caricaturing it. But at least that is in some of our minds and, and perhaps our culture at large. But that's precisely what the psalmist is arguing against. He says that the instructions of the Lord are life giving. They're the grooves on which we are to glide. They are the grain of the universe according to which we are to live. Let me use just, just two examples. The first one is this, curfew. And I'm looking at all of you teens because curfew is not fun. Curfew is not life-giving. And, and, and our nine graduating seniors, I'm sure you're looking forward to uh, the loosening of these curfew chains. But think about it beyond yourselves because parents always kind of give you the the rules because we want you to be safe, we want you in the house, nothing good happens after midnight, blah, blah, blah. We don't want you to have fun. (laughs) But curfew's not just about you. What maybe they don't always tell you is that curfew, as much as it is about a teenager, curfew is also about mom and dad. Right? Because, painting with a broad brush, guess who has a difficult time sleeping when the precious little ones are still out of the house? Mom and dad. (laughs) And guess who, if they don't get enough sleep, is going to be cranky in the morning? Mom and Dad. (laughs) And guess who's going to suffer from said crankiness? Everyone. (laughs) But the point is… That curfew is not just for your own flourishing as a teenager. Curfew is for the flourishing of the entire household. It's for the flourishing of mom and dad's bosses and workplaces. It's for the flourishing of all of creation. That is a life-giving law for your home. Let me give you one more example. Uh, For those of you who have experienced any kind of chronic back pain neck pain or you have torn a ligament or broken something and you go to the physical therapist what are they gonna give you on that first visit they're going to give you probably a sheet of paper that essentially amounts to a list of do's and don'ts do these specific exercises do these stretches do take your medication don't overexert yourself don't eat poorly Do, don't, do, don't. It's a list of laws, of rules and regulations, but if you've ever been in chronic pain, if you've ever broken something significant, that is a life-giving list. That is a list of ordinances not designed to limit and restrict you, but to lead you into true life again to lead you into true freedom. That is a life-giving list and that is exactly what God's ordinances, precepts, commands are for us. They are trying to get us back on the grooves of the universe, to live with the grain of the universe, to lead us into true freedom. The law is not burden, the law is blessing. But as beautiful as those first two movements of Psalm 19 are, I think my favorite part actually comes at the very end. Verses 11 through 14 when he writes, moreover by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward, but who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults, Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is a redeemer? What is redemption? In the Old Testament, a redeemer is is someone who is probably your next of kin. It's supposed to be your closest living relative. And redemption is this recovery of persons or things. It is the release of someone, a buying back, a release of someone by payment. And so in the Holiness Code, this Redeemer is supposed to be your next of kin. And so what we find here in Psalm 19 is that the psalmist starts with God as the utmost, the all-powerful, God the Creator. And he moves all the way down to God, your next of kin. God, my rock, and my Redeemer." The psalmist is calling us to see God as Redeemer. And this idea of redemption moves through the Old Testament and it eventually becomes associated with salvation as as a buying back, a paying of the price, a delivering of God's people. And it even becomes associated with one person, with the Anointed One, the Messiah. And it culminates Even in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus tells His disciples, He says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. He's describing the grain of the universe there. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. We come to find that Redemption, ransom, is found in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the God who who is creator of all, the author of existence, the author of life, is also the God who not only created, but becomes the created dwells among the created and comes to redeem his created that the word that spoke the heavens into existence is now testified to by those heavens the word that created everything that brought up mountains and opened oceans and created Calvary went and died on that hill that's the good news That's the good news of God as Creator, as Teacher, as Redeemer in Jesus Christ. Have you gotten off the grooves? Have you been going against the grain? If you have, there is one who has bought you back, who has paid the price, who has delivered you from sin and death one is Jesus Christ. Church, let's follow him. Let's follow him. Let's begin by standing and praising him together this morning.